Okay, so we'll open up to Acts chapter 13 this morning as we continue through the book of Acts. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I might need it. <laughs> okay, actually these stickers are two for five bucks. That's okay, two for five bucks. See Brad? Uh, those are the stickers. Hey, uh, I got, uh, they told me that this charged up to an hour and five minutes, so I have an hour and five minutes. My man Beck did me wrong last week, and... Uh, what, it was a 47 minutes. I was like, that's for rookies. I mean, no, yeah, he did. And so, so did, uh, so did Mike and so did Xander. And, uh, I appreciate all those guys. Uh, and we have more that can do it and, uh, God bless them. So, uh, what were we doing? Well, we were, we're going to have more for you in a couple weeks. We're going to interview some of the people that went to the hungry trip but what were we doing? We were working with a, a missions organization called Bridge UA. Bridge UA came from Kiev, and they live in Budapest, and they're refugees, pastors, and some missionary people, and they're only a team of about seven, eight, and they're ministering to 150 families in Hungary, and they're all around Hungary. So. We went on four different excursions to four different cities. And what we would do is we'd take them groceries and toiletries and things that they needed, blankets and all that sort of thing. And then Agnes, raise your hand back there. Agnes, who is from Hungary and uh, one of our missionaries that we support, her and her husband Chaba, they used to be, or maybe still are, but they used to be jewelers. Can you believe God sent us jewelers? So cool. And so what Agnes would do with the ladies during the time that we would meet up in the cities, the moms, because remember, no dads, they're in Ukraine, she would uh, put on a jewelry uh, seminar or class, and they would make jewelry for two or three hours. And then the rest of us would sort of, not sort of, but we uh, entertained the kids and uh, so that they could be, you know, have, enjoy some time together. And at the end of that time, we gave a short uh, message and uh, uh, also, one of the things that some of the people on our team did, they'll remain nameless. Anyway, some people on our team went to Ukraine for a day and stayed the night. And what they did was they are helping a person in Ukraine who roasts coffee to get his business up, in the ground, uh, up, up and running. And brought, we brought that coffee here. And uh, next week, you're going to be able to purchase that coffee, so it'll be a fundraiser for the Ukraine, or for Bridge UA, okay? So we did that. That was one day. And then one day, this was very interesting, I taught in a church, Little Calvary Chapel, with two translators. So you'd say something, and then it would go in Hungarian, or excuse me, Ukrainian, and then Hungarian. And it was torture. And the reason why is because I could only teach for 20 minutes. <laughs> Sheer torture. But anyway, that's what we did. And uh, there's some amazing stories. It's amazing <laughs> how God's grace scoops people up. You don't even know, you think you know what you're going for, but you don't really know. And uh, we get off the plane after 23 hours or 22 hours or whatever it was. We had three different stops. 
And we get in the van that we've hired to take us to the hotel, and um, all of a sudden there's this nice young man, well, I say young, he was in his 40s, and his name was Andy. Write that in your prayer journal. And Andy was totally receptive to the gospel, and we just shared the gospel with him for 25 or 35 minutes, or maybe even longer. And he had some interesting ideas about how to solve world peace, and... Uh, we got to talk to him about where re real world peace comes from, and that's Jesus Christ. So pray for Andy. I mean, we went there for all these different mission things, and all of a sudden you're there talking with the bus driver, and it was really sweet. Lots of other stories. In about two weeks now, we're going to gauge that with Mother's Day. We don't want to make the mothers mad, but we're going to interview some of the team that went uh, to Hungary. Uh, with us. So if you're in here and you went to Hungary, stand up this time. Would you please stand up? Okay. And there's more in the back. Uh, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Watch this. Now, if you've ever been to Hungary, you stand up. There you go. So we got a lot of people in the church who's been to Hungary, a lot of people who uh, have uh, Hungary as a concern and the people of Hungary and the people of Ukraine. So go ahead and sit down and um, thank you for going and uh, loving on these folks. Okay, let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 13. One other thing, uh, I want you to take this. If every family take one of these, please take one of these. Uh, it's got some amazing stories. It's got the history of Calvary in here. Not that Calvary's the end all and the be all, but I mean, that is where you're attending today, so maybe you want to hear, see the history. That's in there. Uh, there's one in here that's near and dear to my heart about bivocational pastors. So that's a good one. And um, uh, lots of other things. I mean, just some amazing stories about what's happening. But here's why I want you to really take it. Because the back has the gospel on it. It's got a little sticker on it. Do this. Read this. When you go, who here has a doctor's appointment in the next month? Raise your hand. I do. Okay, you got a doctor's appointment. Done reading it? Put it down on the doctor's table and keep it there, okay? And just start spreading them out all around. It's got the gospel on it. So you can take this out of your, put one in your backpack. You got something to share with people. It's so perfect. I hope every one of you has one of those. Okay, turn with me now to Acts 13. I think I said that about 20 minutes ago, but... Anyway, we're getting there. And uh, we're going to continue on, and hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, our staff can put up a map. Can we put up a map? Are we able to put up the map? And what we're going to put up, if we don't get it up here in a few minutes, uh, look in the back of your body. Look at that. These guys are amazing. And gals. And we're up here in the top right in Antioch. And I want you to know something. There's two Antiochs, but really in the Bible there's seven Antiochs. So you got to sort of get it right. This Antioch over here in the top right is now sort of the church central. Uh, the church is moving from Jerusalem to Antioch. And of course, the church is still thriving and doing wonderful in Jerusalem. But our story is going to start in Antioch up there um, uh, to your top right, up in Syria. You understand that? That's where the church moved to. And that's where we get to. So do me a favor and actually look at verse 25 of chapter 12. It said this, and Barnabas, time out, my first time out. 
Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Don't you want to be a son of encouragement? I'm a son of coaching. I'm a son of exhortation. Do you get what I'm trying to say there? My family knows. I coach. Barnabas encourages. What a great guy. The son of encouragement. Uh, he was from this little town called Cyprus, right over, or this island called Cyprus. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, we learn that he sold some property and gave it to the early church. So we're starting in Antioch, and we're going to go to Cyprus, and then we're going to go to Perga and end up there in Antioch and Iconium, and that'll be it for the day. But this is, folks, Paul's first missionary journey. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Paul's first, or yeah, the first missionary journey takes place from Acts 13, verse 1, through Acts 14. The second missionary journey takes place from Acts 15, 36 or so, because there's a little interlude there about the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. But anyway, Acts 15, 36 through 1822. Then in 1822 to 2126 is the third missionary journey. And then the last thing that we're going to study in the book of Acts is Paul getting to Rome. That's the last thing we'll do. But today, we're going to go halfway, hopefully, through the first missionary journey. And it starts in Antioch. So remember, what did Jesus tell them was going to happen? He certainly told them, go wait in Jerusalem you remember this, and uh, it's not, or excuse me, but you, verse 8, chapter 1 of Acts, shall receive power, and that's what this book is about, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Write that down. It's not an essence. It's not a ghost. Like, uh, it's a person. The Holy Spirit, he is a person, and this person, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. Don't you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me, where? In Jerusalem, and then the surrounding area of Judea, and then in Samaria, and those things have already happened. And now we're seeing the church being expanded into all the ends of the earth. And we're sitting here in West, little West Elizabeth, folks, because of what happened by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So, we're moving on up. Oh, that should be in a show. But we're moving on up the coast. And here's what Barnabas, this son of encouragement, was doing. He and Saul returned from Jerusalem. If you'll recall from our previous studies, they went to Jerusalem to deliver some ministry aid, some funds. They were in need of some funds, so that's where they went. And when they had fulfilled their ministry, verse 25, chapter 12... They also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So let's get this out of the way right now. This is the first mention of John Mark in the Bible. He actually wrote the book of, not John, I fooled you, Mark. He actually wrote the book of Mark. Listen, did you know this? I didn't know this for the longest time, so don't feel bad if you didn't know this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I thought all four of those were 12 apostles. That's not true. Two of them aren't. And this one is not. John Mark. 
Now, he traveled with these people, some of the people who uh, were alive during the time of Christ, and he was alive during the time, but he wasn't of the 12 apostles. Who was this John Mark? He's first mentioned, as I said, uh, actually in ver uh, chapter 12, and then again, or well, here we are in chapter 12, and then he, we, we we're going to get into a discussion here about him more in chapter 13. But his mom, we recognize, or we learn, uh, she owned a house in Jerusalem, and the early church met in his mother's house, which has led some to believe that his mom and his family were wealthy because they needed a big house in order to house lots of people. But John Mark, or Mark, was cousins, write this down, he was related, they were related. Mark and Barnabas were related, and we find that in Colossians 4.10. And that's going to, I think, explain some things that took place in this story. They're related. But uh, he goes with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey here in Acts 13. And we're going to discover, and this is a sermon in itself, and I love this about this story. This is why the Bible is so real. John Mark's going to go on this missionary journey, and he's going to leave it and go home. And Paul's going to hold it against him, because in the second missionary journey, Barnabas, his uncle, is going to show up at the dock or wherever they're leaving from and say, hey, we're ready to go on the second missionary journey. And Paul says, oh, no, that guy ain't going. Mark. And we're going to learn later in the Bible that Paul and Mark made up. They didn't hold the grudge forever. It's a whole sermon in itself, and the Bible's so real. These two were like oil and water at some point, and yet they buried the hatchet. They forgave each other, and at the end, they loved one another. That is a sermon. We should just drop the mic and go home, and you're saying, yes, do that. But it is. That's the way Christians live. They don't hold grudges. They forgive. They have humble hearts. They're tender hearts, and they love one another. And when they clash, they make it right, and they don't hold grudges. Did I say that? So that's who John Mark is. By the way, Mark, where we learn in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, was a son in the faith of Peter. In other words, Peter was shared, shared with John Mark and brought him to the gospel. And yet, here we go. People didn't hold on to things or get jealous or get envious. Peter, even though uh, John Mark was a son in the faith, allowed him or shared him with uh, Paul to go on a missionary journey. That's the way the early church worked, and uh, what a blessing. Okay, so we aren't even verse chapter 13 yet, but here we go. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. There were certain prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch. Oh, I want to just, if you can keep that up there, just keep that up there for the entire time if you're allowed, if, if you can. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to just keep it because we're going to show the way we go here or the way the scriptures go. So I want you to know that the there are, there are differences between teachers and prophets. You understand that? There's differences between teachers and prophets. 
Teachers do this. They systematically bring you through the scriptures so that you'll grow, so that we'll grow together in the grace of God. It's systematic. It takes a long time. It's comprehensive. And they just keep teaching and keep teaching little by little, bit by bit. Prophets are a little different. They're exercising a gift that's given by the Spirit. Uh, It's not necessarily, listen to this now, real carefully. It's not necessarily foretelling. It can be foretelling. It's something that God has put on their heart to tell the church. And it doesn't have to be like, I feel in my mind you're going to buy blue shoes. Nothing like that. Although it could be, I suppose. But what really it's for is that the Lord puts on a heart something that he's telling, uh, uh, wants to tell the church. And a lot of times it just comes by scripture. Man, the Lord just put it on my heart to talk to you about this scripture today. Wow, that's a prophecy. That's what that is. And uh, so there's other things. But I want you to know that there is a difference between prophecy and teaching because there's a lot of people in the church that are going to tell you different. I think that's not true. I think prophecy and teacher are separate. And here in the early church, you see that. And what was the purpose of the prophets and the teachers in the early church? Well, the teachers were systematically teaching, and prophets were telling what was on God's heart to the uh, congregation. And what are we learning that it uh, uh, made them do or, or, or compelled them to do? To go share the gospel. That's what this was about. It wasn't, oh, you're going to get expensive blue shoes. It was more like, you know what? The Bible tells us to go into all the world and share the gospel. And you, Barnabas, have a love for your island. How about go to your island and give it all up for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what this was all about. That's what this prophetic thing was all about, and that's what these teachers were about. And then interesting here, here in chapter 13, he names the Holy Spirit by the uh, uh, the writer here, Luke, names the people who were at the church that were important. Barnabas, you already know who he was, or is. You know who he was in the scriptures. And then there was this Simeon who was called Niger. And because that word means black, Many people believe this is Simon the Cyrene. Anybody know who that is? Simon the Cyrene is the guy who's sort of watching Jesus come down the path during the Passover time, just sort of came to the city, come to the Passover because the Jewish religion had done something for him. And he comes and he's participating at the festival and the Romans tell him to get out there and carry the cross. That's Simon the Cyrene. And in, uh, later in the Bible, from the Gospels, we learn that he had two sons, Rufus and Alexander, who were very important in the early church. Anyway, many people believe this is Simon the Cyrene. Why do they believe that? Even though it says Simeon from Nigeria. Well, Cyrene is Africa too, but also because of the next name. The next name is Lucius of Cyrene. And most people go, well, we know nothing about Lucius. How did Lucius of Cyrene get here? Well, it's because they, many people don't have to believe this. You be a Berean, but many people believe this Simeon from Nigeria was Simon the Cyrene, and he, he shared with Lucius. But then you get this really fascinating one. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and I read the Bible by myself and I didn't really have any instruction and I never really uh, 
received any instruction in the Bible. I always thought uh, the scriptures were only for poor people. That's what I thought. That's just what I thought. And the Bible does say, blessed are the poor. Or Jesus does say in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor. But he means poor in spirit. And uh, obviously, when you have a lot of money, it's very difficult to be poor in spirit. That's what Jesus says. And the reason is, is because once you get a lot of money, you always think it's you who did it instead of Christ. But it's not impossible for a rich person, man or woman, to come into the family of God. I mean, you see it in Cornelius in the early part of the book of John. And here you see a guy, it really blesses my heart, who was part of, rubbed elbows with, big-time people. And that is, whatever, however you pronounce his name, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod. Who's this Herod? Herod is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the one who killed John the Baptist. Now, Herod was a dynasty, not really a name. It was the Herodian dynasty. They were Idumeans. They came from the Edomites, Esau, if you can remember all that way. But anyway, Herod's ruled over parts of Israel. And what they did was they were the puppets. In other words, Rome stuck their hand inside the puppet who was Herod, and Rome pulled the strings. And anyway, this guy, Manan, just out of the blue, he grew up with Herod Antipas, which means he had to run in rich circles, in powerful circles. But see, the gospel's the equalizer. So beautiful. Whether you're rich or poor or black or white or yellow or red or this tall or that tall or whatever, it doesn't matter. You have this much money or that much, it doesn't matter. In Christ, we're all the same, and we all need our sins forgiven. And Manan, praise the Lord, gave his life to Christ. Herod went that way, Manan went that way, which tells you something. You have to choose. Are you, are you elected and chosen? Oh, I got your attention. Of course you are. Of course you're elected and chosen, but you have to choose. And Herod went that way, and Manan went that way. And so what a beautiful thing. Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, that means fourth, because Israel was broken up in fourths. And he uh, was brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here you go, you got Saul. Saul is also named Paul. His dad must have given him two names, or mom and dad. Saul, the Jewish name, that's what he was. But Paul, the Gentile name. Paul means small or little. And it sounded like Saul... So I guess he thought he was a rhymer or a rapper or something. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> as they ministered, listen, listen, they're getting ready to go change the world. In fact, later in the book of Acts, it says these people turned the world upside down. Now, let's just take a time out for a minute. We're just this little, small little fellowship in the middle of western Pennsylvania, southwestern but it doesn't matter if you have the Holy Spirit. Why aren't we, or are we? I mean, I'm not saying we're not, but why can't we turn the world upside down where we live? These people turned the world upside down, and I want you to see what it was rooted in. This is what they were rooted in. Here it is. Oh, the Lord ministered to them so that they were such great people, the Lord sent them out. It actually says the opposite. As they were ministering to the Lord, the Lord picked the people 
to go turn the world upside down. Are you catching that? So we have to think and know what ministering to the Lord means. That word in the Septuagint, anybody? Oh, excuse me. That word in the Greek, sorry about that, is the same word that's used in the Septuagint in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That means that the Levites and priests ministered to the Lord in and around the tabernacle. Now watch, just hang with me for a minute. This is powerful. So in the New Testament era, what does it mean for us to minister to the Lord? Well, what were the priests and the Levites preparing and doing? They were getting the sacrifices ready. And if they weren't getting the sacrifices ready, they were preparing the temple so that it was according to what God had written so people could come and do the sacrifices. You get what I'm saying? It all had to do with that sacrificial system, and yet maybe some of them didn't participate right there in the heart of the sacrifices, if that makes sense. But watch this. If you turn to the next book, and you know this very well, Romans 12 says this. What does it mean for a New Testament Christian to minister to the Lord? Because I don't know about you, but when I think about it, I go, Lord, you need to minister to me. I demand my rights, minister to me. But here it says that they were ministering to the Lord. New Testament Christians. So what does it mean? Look at this. Paul writes this. I beseech you, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, we can't and don't give sacrifices anymore. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Everybody with me? So what can you do? Give your whole life back to the Lord. That's it. That you give your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God. And this is so funny to me. This is funny. To me, I laugh every time I read this. The Bible's funny to me, and it just goes, which is your reasonable service? I mean, what else would you do? If you understood what the Christ has done for you, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit, I mean, what else would you do? You'd give your whole life back to him. It's your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You give your life back. And look, what do you do? You, 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 you listen to his word. And then you don't just listen. You don't just listen. Everybody can listen. The devils listen. The devils know but you obey and I obey and we do it by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. We obey when the whole society says, ah, we say, no, that wouldn't be pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And he's my whole life. I'm giving my life to the Lord. I'm doing what he asks in whatever area it is you obey. But what else do you do? You come here on a Sunday or you stay in your kitchen and you're washing dishes and you're just praising the Lord. You're giving him honor and glory that's due him. That's ministering unto the Lord. He inhabits the fruit and the praise that comes out of our lips. He loves it. He knows. You know why he loves it? Not some egotistical uh, Uh, ogre in the sky, he knows that's the safest and greatest place for his children to be, right there under his wing. 
That's why. You praise, you pray, you're a giver. You're a servant, not a volunteer. Time out for a minute. You know what volunteers do? Yeah, okay, I, I, okay, I'll do it. But here's when I can do it, and here's what I'm going to do, and I'm not doing anything other than that. That's a volunteer. You ever had a volunteer in church? It's a drag. You know what a servant says? Whatever you say, wherever you tell me to go, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. We're not volunteers here, folks. We're servants, and that is ministering unto the Lord. All of those things combined. And does my life look like that? Do I do this? Is this part of my daily practice? And Beck did, gave us a great exhortation and gave us some homework about how we grow step by step. But these people were ministering unto the Lord, and they were fasting. They were fasting. Fasting. They had something of great spiritual significance. Can you imagine Barnabas? Wow, the Holy Spirit's putting it on my heart to go to my home country or island. And I can imagine Barnabas saying to Paul, hey, wow, let's fast. Let's bring this of great spiritual significance. The evangelism or the evangelizing of my home island. I want to bring that to the Lord. Will you participate with me and the others in the church? Oh, yes, it's so. Let's bring that to the Lord. Let's fast together and seek the Lord on this. That's what they were doing. And when they did that, watch this. The uh, pastor of the church picked the people to go on the trip. It doesn't say any of that. It says the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They had been called to this. Now, I want you to see something in Acts 9. Go there with me. In Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. Acts 9, right after Paul's been converted, or Saul been converted, same thing. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. This is talking of Paul. To bear my name before the Gentiles. Folks, look up here. Antioch to Cyprus. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. He's going to the Gentiles. Or will there be some Jewish people there? Yes. But he's going to the Gentiles, uh, kings and the children of Israel, for I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. Paul was walking in the works that God had ordained for Paul. You're like, okay. Well, I got news for you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Hey, folks, your life is more than just money and white picket fences and IRA accounts and retirement and golf and vacations. And I like to do lots of those things. But I want you to see something in verse 10 of chapter 2. And this is for every Christian. Are you a Christian? Then listen to this. For we are his workmanship or poems. We're his poems. We're his poema. We're his, he's writing our story. He works on us. Created in Christ Jesus. What were we created for? Good works. We aren't saved by good works. 
But we're created unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. God has a good work for you. And that's why it's tough now, folks. I want to just take a little time out. I I have a lot of timeouts. I'm like the NBA. It's like 20 timeouts. But listen, I don't go to the homeless ministry every, or I, I don't go hardly at all to the homeless ministry Monday at 530. I praise the Lord for it. I'm so thankful that Mark and Catherine, some other people here go there. And, and, but, but listen, that's what God's called them to do. Maybe God's called me for something else. And maybe God's called you for something else. Be careful if God's called you to a ministry to guilt people into going to your ministry. Don't do that. What if God hasn't called you? I always laugh when I see the folks on TV and say, ah, sow into my ministry. And I'm all, here's my old smart aleck answer. Well, what if God hasn't told me to sow into your ministry? How are you so sure God's told me to sow into your ministry? How has God told me that if I sow into your ministry, I'm going to get a gazillion bucks back? What do you mean? What if God's not told me to do that? My ministries may be something different than your ministry. And so you got to be careful. But, but, but on the flip side of that, this is beautiful. Because God's calling you to something that's for you. That he's asking you to be a servant in. And it's beautiful. And I would say and pray that each one of you find what that is and just do it. You say, well, I don't know if that's what God's calling me. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you try? And if God shuts the door, what's the harm? Come back and do what else God's called you to. That's what I think. So here you see in Acts chapter 13, this was clear. God was calling Paul out and he said, Barnabas, you come too. And they fasted and they prayed there in verse 3. Wow, we're through three verses. Good. Fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and they sent them away. And this is uh, cool to me because this is starting to get what, like, what the modern church is like. You guys sort of did that with us a couple weeks ago. You prayed over us and we went over to Hungary. And I know there's issues with short-term missions and all that sort of thing. That's not for today. This was not a short-term mission, of course. They went over 900 miles by foot and obviously by ship as well. But, but listen, what is it? that missions is about. It's about establishing relationships, being consistent, and when you get the opportunity, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what they're to do. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that's key. You would circle that. Don't go unless the Holy Spirit has told you. Pastor can come up here and say how wonderful a time they had and it was a blessing and pray for these people and all that. But unless the Holy Spirit is calling you to it, don't go. If the Holy Spirit is calling you to it, go. They go down to Seleucia. See that? They go down to Seleucia. There it is on the map. It doesn't really tell you that they did anything there, but they probably did. But they didn't fill that in. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And again, that's where Barnabas was from and sold some property for the early church. What a blessing he must How blessed must he must have felt to go back to his home country and share the gospel and be part of that? Well, anyway, he does that. And when they arrived in this place called Salome or Salamis, however you say it, on the eastern coast, you see it there. uh, uh, 
they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now, this was Paul's MO. You all know this, right? Paul was from both worlds. He had a foot in the Jewish world and a foot in the Gentile world his whole life. And he was perfectly positioned. And what was Paul's MO? When he went to a new city, he always went to the synagogues. Why would he go to the synagogue? Remember, he's not going there to be the pastor and do the service. You understand that, right? When I first read this, when I was a kid, I thought Paul was the guy. He's not the guy. He's just sitting in the congregation. But why would Paul go to a synagogue? Well, a couple reasons. Listen, they have the Old Testament scriptures. And the Old Testament scriptures prophesy of the coming Messiah. They're prepped, you see. Why else? Well, I mean, they are into and, and, and to like to talk about, and they're inclined to spiritual things. And so Paul goes there. Of course, Paul has a great, great abiding love for the Jewish people. Even though he's being sent to the Gentiles, he says, I would do anything that my countrymen would be saved. So here he is, and here he goes. They go into a synagogue. Now, I, I do have to call another time out. What is a synagogue doing on the island of Cyprus? You ever wondered that? I used to wonder that. Wait a minute. Why, is a synag why isn't the synagogue in Jerusalem? Well, there is a synagogue in Jerusalem and a whole bunch of other places. And where did synagogues pop up? Well, what'd you say? There you go, where there were Jews. And it started, listen to this, it started during the, uh, the uh, exile, the Babylonian exile. When the Jews got pulled out of Judah and were up in Babylon, they would set up these centers facing towards Jerusalem and do their study and prayers. And yes, wherever cities they came to that had 10 men or more in it, they'd set up a synagogue. And so it spread throughout the ancient world. So here's one there in Salamis or however you say it. What's funny is as soon as they get going, you imagine Barnabas, oh, this is so great, my home country, fantastic, amazing. Woo, we sailed, it was beautiful, I'm on Cyprus. I mean, what a mission trip, man. I used to, we used to live in Hawaii. That was a pretty cool mission trip. But anyway, I mean, you know, it's beautiful and wonderful. And then all of a sudden, they come in there, uh, they've gone through the island, they go to Paphos, you see it there to the western edge. They set, set up shop again, and then all of a sudden, here comes a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, who was named Son of Jesus. In other words, he talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. He looked like a Christian. He sounded like a Christian. He went to the places where Christians go. And Jesus told us about this, didn't he? He talked about the wheat and the tares, that there would be tares or weeds among the wheat, the Valuable stuff. Well, here comes this guy, Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, you see, I think half the battle of understanding the Bible is just figuring out who the players are. Who is Sergius Paulus? Well, Rome dominated this whole area. And even Cyprus, Rome dominated. And there was two ways in which they dominated. One, they needed troops there. Well, in, the, in and around Jerusalem, they had a governor, know his name, Pontius Pilate, and they had troops. But later on, in Cyprus, it was a Senate-controlled 
area, which meant they just had basically Sergius Paulus and some administrators, but no troops. And apparently, he had an advisor named Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, who gave him advice. And Sergius Paulus was an intelligent man, and the man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But watch, as soon as he do, they do that, I mean, come on, are you serious? I'm going to send you, Paul. Can you imagine this ringing in his ears? I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, and I'm going to send you before kings. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in audience with the Roman governor of Cyprus. I mean, how do you explain this stuff? It's only by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible tells you to be prepared in season and out of season. That's why the Bible tells you to always be a pre prepared to give a defense for what you believe, to be able to give uh, uh, an argument and a, a persuasive talk about the living hope that's within you. Always be ready. You never know when you're going to run into somebody to talk to. You got it? So here he comes and he's before this guy, but this person named Bar-Jesus, who Luke switches to Elemus, Elemus the sorcerer, for his, uh, so, so his name uh, is translated, this, this guy, uh, anyway, uh, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And this reminds you, and it reminds me, it should, that you don't fight against flesh and blood. You see maybe a human being across the way, but you're fighting against the spiritual powers of darkness and the Lord's doing the battle. And here, just like in chapter eight, did you know in chapter eight, Paul gets saved, Philip goes down to Samaria and starts preaching the gospel and there's a, a man named Simon the sorcerer who pops up. You ever wondered why these guys keep popping up? Because they're from the enemy. And the enemy always wants conflict and to deter you from your mission. You understand? Listen, if your life is a bed of roses as a Christian and you're just sort of walking along and everything's great and, you know, no conflict and you're... You know what you should do and I should do? reevaluate your Christian life. Because the Bible tells us if we're sharing and loving the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the enemy was going to oppose your life. I always laugh sometimes inside. People come and they say, can you pray that everything will go smooth and da 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 and things will be ducks in a row so that my life will be good? And I'm thinking to myself, should I really pray that prayer? But I do. But anyway, uh, <laughs> here you see that there was instant opposition. Then Saul, verse 8, who is called Paul, by the way, he just throws it in over and over again. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, we believe there's a subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit after you've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You can be indwelt with the Holy Spirit and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. But here, Paul is filled again. He looks intently at him and says, I believe, you know, this is, uh, he's operating in the gifts right here. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud. He calls him the son of the devil. He knew there was something wrong. How did he know? He had the gift of discernment. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you're gonna you shall be blind 
not seeing the sun for a time. Now, you think that's harsh at first glance. Do you think that's harsh? Sort of. But I want you to remember something. When Paul got saved, what happened to Paul? He went blind. And I wonder to myself if he's saying, oh, Lord, do it for him. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul, praise the Lord, the proconsul of Cyprus believes when he saw what had been done. Now watch, I want you to catch this. If you didn't catch anything else from today, you're saying, oh man, catch this. It wasn't the miracle. It wasn't the blinding. It wasn't all of that. It wasn't the gifts. What got Sergius Paulus? He was astonished at the teaching of Paul. No, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul preached, Barnabas preached, these people preached in such a way that you didn't compliment the pastor, you recognized and saw God in the preaching, in the teaching. Isn't that amazing? And that's what turned him around. And so there it is. And now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, most commentators say this is a real turning point in the book of Acts. Why? Because before it was always Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. But now Luke, through the Holy Spirit, recognizes that Paul is the leader because it says Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. There they go. And off they go to Perga, right? And they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, that's John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. You know that John Mark left them. We're going to see him uh, uh, be denied going on the second missionary journey, and you're going to see later that Paul and Mark reconcile. It's such a beautiful story of the Bible. Anyway, John Mark departs from them and returns to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia. Now we've seen two Antiochs. But I want you to catch something. In the, book of, um, or in the rest of the book that Paul writes about, do you know that Paul was afflicted in the body and many people can't figure out what happened? Well, Perga is in the lowlands, more susceptible to malaria at the time. Watch this. Antioch is going up in elevation almost to 4,000 feet. And many people believe that Paul got something like malaria. That was the affliction in his body. And that's why he moved inward to Antioch. Just an interesting story. Anyway, they do that. This is in the regions of Galatia. And they came to Antioch and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and sat down. And now all of you know why. Why would they go to the Sabbath? That was his M.O. First to the Jew, he was going to preach the gospel, then to the Gentile. He loved his brothers. They were prepared. They spoke of spiritual things. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. At the end of the services in the synagogues, you'd have the readings and some of the orders of service. They would say, if there's somebody in the fellowship who is educated, they would allow them up to get up and speak and say some words about what they had uh, learned. And Paul takes the opportunity. And look what he does. He stands up and he motions with his hand. I like that because that's what I do. I can't put him by my side. I just can't. 
I've tried and it just won't work. But anyway, he goes, men of Israel and you who fear God, who are the ones that fear God? They're non-Jewish people who have a respect for the Jewish religion and for the one true God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God-fearers. That's what these folks were called. And he goes on and he teaches them. He gives them an evangelical message. He, this God chose our fathers, exalted the people when they were in Egypt. In an unlifted arm, he brings them out of Egypt. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After them, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God has raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. It wasn't about David. It was about David's line. Now, here's another timeout. You know when you read the Bible and you do your two-year thing and you love the two-year thing, or you do the one-year thing and you love the one-year thing, it's not just so you can make the check mark. Did you know that? It's so that you can learn the individual stories of the Bible so that you can grow closer to Christ. But time out. There's another reason. So that I think each one of us, every one of us in here, that make this fellowship our home, we should be able to go through the history of the Bible from a high view level, just like Paul is doing. Like, you could use this for a Bible study and make sure you know everything that he's talking about. So when you get out and you're sharing the gospel, you're not just down in the minutia. You can come up and give a high level explanation of what the Bible is all about. I really believe we all ought to be able to do that. So here he's saying this, and all these things have their own stories, and most of you know them, and that's great. But look in verse 24. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, he skips from David to John the Baptist. Why? Because he's getting to Jesus. <laughs> okay? Look, you can be sharing with something, and they say, yeah, but what about, did, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? And you're like, wow, that one got me. I don't know about that. What about the aborigines in the rainforest? All of them valid things. All of them, if you can answer them, great. But listen, folks. Get the conversation back on track and go right towards Jesus. You get it? Here's what they're doing. They're skipping over hundreds of years, but it is a high-level view, and he's getting like a laser to what Jesus accomplished. That's what he wants them to know. So, who do you think I am? And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to loose. Men and brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent for those who dwell in Jerusalem, rulers, because they didn't know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled in them or fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in them, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, that's very important because the gospel is that Christ died, listen, 
according to the scriptures. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died according to the scriptures. It was predicted, and that's important, so he puts it in here. But God raised him from the dead. Oh, excuse me, sorry. Fulfilled all that was written concerning him. They took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. I just got to tell you this. You know in the Old Testament law, the Jews believed anybody who was on a tree was cursed. That's Deuteronomy. You getting it, what I'm about ready to tell you? And what he's telling them and all the people is the one who was cursed, Jesus, was cursed so we could be blessed. The one on the tree, and they laid him in a tomb. This guy was dead, in other words. Watch. Thank goodness for butts. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And that's the... There he goes. He goes right to Jesus, and he talks about the death, but he makes sure they know about the resurrection. Because if Jesus didn't rise again, we're all foolish to be here. We're foolish because Jesus isn't in the grave. He's alive, and he's at the right hand of the Father. He raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses. People could stand up in court and go, yep, I saw him alive. I saw him alive. I saw him alive. I saw him alive. Over and over and over again, there was eyewitness testimony. Guys, gals, the Christian faith is not something you just make up in your mind. The Christian faith is based on there was this guy named Jesus who met all the scripture prophecies about who he was to be and where he was to come from and etc etc and he lived and he was here uh, uh, to save us from our sins and he was illegally tried but he willingly laid down his life and he went to the cross to pay for our sins watch and the power over sins and he died and we were like whoa I don't know and then he rose again and we knew because we saw him we touched him we knew it's a fact that's what they're telling you here we declare to you these glad tidings glad tidings Wow, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for his children and that he raised up Jesus. He talks about Psalm 2, you are my son, today I've begotten you. If you're wanting to talk to the cults who say this proves that Jesus was born, he was a created being, they're missing the point. <laughs> this is talking about the resurrection, not the birth of Christ here. Get what I'm saying? In other words, this is when he was shown to the world who he was. That's what that means in Psalm 2. I hope you get what I meant right there. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. And that was in Psalm, uh, a psalm as well. I'll give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he says, he, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. He didn't die. He didn't rot. He came up out of the grave and is alive. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Okay, hang with me now. I know you're glazing over. But you're about ready to get blown away in a good way by what the Lord is going to do. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Man, the forgiveness of sins. If Christ did only that, 
forgave us of our sins by what he accomplished. Praise the Lord, because that gets us to everlasting life and communion with the Father. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. If you're sitting here today and you think, I need to be a good little boy or little girl to get into heaven, you missed the gospel. I missed it for 20 straight years. Went to church. I thought I had to be a good boy, good girl. Well, I was a boy, but you get what I'm saying. To go to heaven. That's what I thought. And here what he's telling you is, is what Christ accomplished on the cross is that he relieved you of a debt that you couldn't pay, the forgiveness of sins. And God now has declared you spiritual, judicial de declaration, not guilty. And not only are you not guilty, you get his righteousness so that when you go to heaven, God sees you as if you've never sinned and you're perfectly righteous. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. So in 40, beware then, therefore, lest what is spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work at you in your days a work which you will by no means believe. Habakkuk 1.5. Here's the deal. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, could this guy just shut up? No, no, seriously, I'm being serious. And you're like, oh boy, this is too much. And I wanted to tell you something. It's not too much. I'm not trying to get you to come to church here or do anything like that. But if it's a matter of your salvation, I want you to hear right now. In this sermon and in this sermon, Paul goes on for a long time. And then he gives the gospel. And then he says, some of you are going to sit here and not believe. And there might be somebody in here doing the same thing. And I'm saying, whatever you think about me, don't think about me. The Lord is telling you to consider this and to surrender your life to Christ because if you do the work of unbelief, you'll be eternally separated from God. So the Jews go out of the synagogue, or so when the Jews go out of the synagogue, the Gentiles beg that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. You catching that? The people who he wanted to reach, his countrymen, were rejecting all of this out of envy and jealousy. But the Gentiles say, hey, come back next week and we'll all come. This is amazing. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them and persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Folks, the grace of God is not just for entry into the, the family of God. The grace of God is for all time, everyday living as a Christian. You need grace today as much as you did on the day you gave your life to the Lord. You, you wonder why you're burnt out and frustrated in the ministry that God's created for you? It's because you and I and we aren't walking in the grace of God. We're walking in the flesh. And when you walk in the flesh and I walk in the flesh, we get bitter and we get impatient with people and we get angry and we get hurt and we get burnt. And all those things are valid. I'm not saying you should, you, you know, you're lesser if that's happened. But when you walk in the grace of God, you've got resource for all day. You've got the joy of the Lord. So we're to continue in the grace of God. Now, I see your face. So I'm going to tackle the second half of this 
next week. But here's what I'm going to do is I ask these people to come up and sing and lead us in one more worship song. If you're here today and you don't know whether you're going to heaven, you don't know if you have eternal life. Well, why wouldn't you want to know? And you're interested. And I want you to come up after church and let's pray together. If you have sort of gone back in your Christian life and you're wanting to move forward, I want you to come up and we'll have people to pray up here with you. We're also going to pray tonight at 7 o'clock in corporate prayer. Oh, good. At least somebody's happy. And if you want us to pray for you, you could put uh, some things in the agape box or bring them up to me and we'll pray over them. But I don't want you to be a person who's an unbeliever. I'm just going to tell you straight out. If somebody's invited you here today and you're, you're not here by an accident. You're here because the Lord wants you to hear the gospel. And I pray that you'd give your life to the Lord, that the Holy Spirit would tug on your heart as we worship together or whatever the Lord has for you today. Maybe there's a healing that needs to happen spiritually. Maybe you need to give forgiveness like John Mark and Paul. Whatever it is, I'm praying that you would be obedient as well as I. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come together today and we thank you for these words and your heart that none should perish. You send people to the islands. You send people to Nepal. You send people to Hungary. You send people to um, homeless ministry on the north side. You send people into the corporations that they're going to work at tomorrow. Or you send people to the soccer fields or whatever. You send your people out to love and to share. And we need your Holy Spirit as we pray about these things and these people and as we fast about these things and these people. Lord, help us to share and to love a dark and hurting world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.